Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sefi and Sobeleke are contonge sevelecaro, sede pambron con const conte erkefid and supia, shevazo, levicaring and sompai, calivon combra car condest and sica, renga teban por kempam perki and sequia, lust and strokosond, le filken subia, le venda le porke, ne fungan sonka renga tevipai, shevicapos. For I release even a fire and a, and a new fresh wave of glory in the midst of this people. For yes, your hunger has come even as a week before me. And I say I let my presence stand as the fire starter in the midst of you. And yes, I even unlock dams that were built up. And I even release my water in the midst of you. For there shall be a new wave of my spirit and a new wave of my glory. Siben suke mustun tevan bampon de kuskatea reker and rey and sopikai lupa nastromons and straw fenbon tombron gandom brampor don dos tuka don don stuka toast and sell and fake tosh siampan siampan toshonda regatapa. For yes, I'm even dealing with the adversaries that have come to oppose my move, even in this place and even in this region, say of the Lord. For I say I even position my angels, even in a new way, in the direction of this ministry, say of the Lord. For yes, there shall even be a new shifting that comes, even by way of my spirit, say of the Lord. For everything that tried to oppose me and everything that tried to oppose the move of the spirit I say I am putting new guards in the midst of you and I shall begin to send revival in the midst of this people yeah <laughs> Zekontosh seprakus ketons tamporkin tia torkin daleve zekaan sokaha zetavamporkin mia tokesta. For where you have knocked and where you have seeked and where you have asked, I release an access even in the midst of you tonight. For yes, as you have pulled upon my heart, I say I even release new joy in the midst of you and new hope in the midst of you. Say it, Father, for yes, I am the God who releases joy and I am the God who laughs at the plans of the enemy. For where he said, I will stop this, the Lord said, I have released even a new grace. I saw her even like a bulldozer moving and plowing in the midst of this people and in the midst of this city. This shall be known as the city of God and they shall be known as they who turn this place upside down. And I heard the Lord say that I'm causing this church to become a reservoir for this city. I've heard the spirit of grace say that I've been, I've been conditioning you and I've been cultivating you. And I've brought you even until this point into this place. 
and God says no that I'll cause rivers to flow out of you just not from the pulpit just not from the stage but I'll cause rivers to flow out of you declares the Lord and I heard God say that I'll give you the ear of this city and I'll give you the ear of this town and God says that watch what I begin to do as you become a resource God says watch as I begin to raise up even those in this room who will be called to the politics of this town and God says I'll begin to even speak unto you and you'll be as the Joseph's and the Daniel's to this region the Lord says that this has not been a time many of you some of you have been in a place where you've been confused as far as the shifts and the changes but the Lord says that know that the shifts and the changes are a sign of acceleration God says know that what I begin to do even in your midst even in the midst of my people I'll begin to accelerate you and cause you to break out on every side for yes I say a river shall flow out of this place and yes I say this shall be a reservoir and yes I say I shall cause it to rain even in due season and even out of season for you have access and open heaven in this place and you shall have what you ask for I've given it to you for it's not by might nor by power but it's by my spirit, says the spirit of the living God. Come on and give Jesus a hand clap in this place. Thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Whoo. It's okay. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, let's rejoice in the work of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, come on. It's something, it's such a sensitive moment. Let's rejoice in the work of the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You can have your seats. I feel at home. Amen. Um, before I get into the word, I want to honor my wife who's here with me. If you could just stand, baby. Amen. It's my wife, Brittany. And our, our, our three-month-old baby, Eden, is here as well. Eden, go ahead and wave at the people, Eden. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, I want to, uh, again, I have my book here, Access Granted, Unlocking Your Potential as an Intercessor. Um, they are in the back. I only brought so many copies. Um, they're only $10. So if you can go, I guarantee you will be blessed. You, you will be challenged. You will be strengthened. And one of the things that my book is designed to do is teach you how to stop striving in prayer. And as Leon began to sing, we begin to rest in his arms uh, because intercession is just not something that God has ordained for a select handful of people. Intercession is something that every believer is called to do. This is why, because there's really only one intercessor. His name is Jesus. And as believers, we're called to stand in him because he is the intercessor. 
And as we decree and as we declare and as we call things to be in the earth, it's because of what he's done and not in and of our own strength or ability. So I, I, I dare you to get that book and let it challenge you to embrace God's grace in prayer. Amen. Amen. Um, uh, Leon Timbo was he was singing my message. And I told my wife, I said, he's singing my message. She said, well, it's a sign that you're in the right place. Amen. Um, I, 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 I want to teach. I'm a teacher by nature. Um, so I want to teach. And then I heard God. I saw God do some things um, in this room tonight. So I want to teach and we want to jump in the river uh, and allow Holy Spirit to move how he des- desires to move. Amen. It's good to see my friend Don George here as well. And, and, and Nina, good to see you as well. Amen. I've been teaching for almost a year now. No, I have been teaching for over a year and I can't get around this topic. I can't get around this theme. And even while I'm I'm traveling, um, this is a message that the Holy Spirit just keeps having me to teach and keep having me to emphasize. Um, I believe that the message that you all will hear tonight is an essential topic within the body of Christ And it's something that once we fully begin to understand and we fully begin to embrace, um, God will begin to cause breakthrough to occur in his body like we've never seen before. And he'll begin to bring his church to a whole nother level. What you'll hear tonight is one of the most basic but yet complex messages, one of the most basic but one one of the most complex um, themes of of the Christian life. Uh, And it's so basic that you would think that everyone would get it. But the sad reality is that most people don't. Um, So we're going to we're going to talk about it. uh, And what I'm going to deal with tonight is the spirit of sonship, the spirit of sonship. Um, This is the Holy Spirit conference. Amen. Do me a favor. Go to your Bibles. We're going to go to Genesis chapter one. We're going to read verses 26 through 28. If we can. I lead a, a majority millennial church, so we don't turn to our Bibles. We turn on our Bibles. <laughs> Amen. How many of y'all got a physical Bible? Y'all a saved church. Y'all got the real Holy Ghost. Not no, not no baby Jesus. Y'all got the full-grown Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. If you got it, say, I got it. And the reason God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Father, we just thank you for the word of God today, and we just thank you that hearts, minds, and, and uh, it, Father, the hearts, minds, and intellects of your people are open. The spirit of your people are open to hear the word of God, to hear what you would have for them to receive today. We thank you for this house. I bless this house. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Now, this is a very familiar verse. I'm sure everybody has heard this verse in this room. If you've been in church for any time, um, you've heard this verse before, that God created man in his image and after his likeness. Um, So man was created to be like God. Man was created to look like God. In our church now, we're currently in a, in a, in a series called God-like, and we're dealing with the idea that we were all made to be like God, look like God. We were made in his image. We were made after his likeness. He made you to be like him. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to give you a series of scriptures, and then we're going to dive in. Verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I want to make a statement about what's happening here in Genesis Uh, chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 3. And what I'm going to say to some of you all, it may be foreign to you, um, but I want you to hear it because I believe that if we really understand what was transpiring here, we'll get a better picture of how good God really is. What happened in the garden was not just a matter of when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. uh, It wasn't just about them uh, now being prone to physical death or being Uh, you know, being um, accessible to physical death. Or it's not even about the fact that when they ate the fruit, it wasn't about disobedience per se. Adam and Eve eating the fruit was about sonship. The fall, what happened in the garden, that whole thing was about sonship. Can you say sonship for me real quick? It was about sonship. One of the things that we have to understand is that Adam uh, was not just, some people would say Adam is the first man And that may be true, Uh, but one thing I want to say is that Genesis is not just about Adam being the first man. Genesis is about Adam being the first son. It's about Adam being the first son. If you look at Luke chapter 3, turn to that real quick. I'm going to show you the scriptures so y'all just don't think I'm shooting at the hip. So Luke chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as it was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. We're going to skip all the way down to verse 38 because that's a lot of sons in this, you know, verse. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So what we see is that Adam wasn't just a man that God raised up. Adam was a son that God raised up. Luke chapter 3 identifies Adam as the son of God. So what we see actually happen in the garden was, 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 was uh, it wasn't just about falling and entering into sin. It was about falling from sonship and entering into an orphan mentality. Yeah. 
Adam was the son of God. He was, he was royal. God blessed him already. God spoke to him. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over all of these things, over the works of, of my hands. I've given you to have dominion over it. When Adam fell, one of the things that Adam did was Adam allowed the serpent to convince him that he wasn't who he really was. It wasn't just about eating fruit, y'all, that said that we fell into a, a, a fallen state or a fallen nature, which is true. But we have to look at the, uh, we have to look, we have to look at what that means to be in a fallen state. What does it mean? What was all this about? Because we know that he said, the day you eat the fruit, you shall surely die. We know it wasn't physical because he didn't die then. We know that it was him being separated from God, but separated from God how? As a son. As a son. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna deal with it. One of the things that we have to address is that Adam, I want you all to hear me, because many, many believers today, many of us live our Christian lives as if we have to earn God's approval. Many of us live our Christian lives as if if I pray enough, if I fast enough, if I whatever, if I give money to so many poor people, God approves my life. But what we see actually in Genesis is that before Adam had an opportunity to do anything, God did something for him. The Bible says before God gave him dominion that God blessed him. So what does that mean? That means that God blessed Adam before he had a reason to be blessed. Are y'all listening to me here? God blessed him, and then God said to him, do these things. That's huge. That's huge because the word, when it says that God blessed him, to bless literally means to praise with his approval. It means to kneel with him to approve him. So in other words, what we see is that God approved Adam before he had a reason to be approved. Now, the sad reality is that most of us today, we, we try to strive with God, hoping that he'll approve us, when the fact of the matter is that he already has. It's nothing that you can earn. Adam wasn't, it wasn't a matter of Adam of, um, working or tilling the ground good enough for God. It wasn't a matter of, of, uh, of Adam uh, uh, being a good husband to his wife Eve. Before Adam had an opportunity to make a mistake, to do anything good in God's sight, God said, look, I'm going to bless you, not because of anything that you've done, but I'm going to bless you because that's what fathers do. Amen. The war in the garden was not so much about Adam's action as it was about Adam's nature. It wasn't about Adam's action, what he did. The war in the garden was a war to see what kind of nature Adam would be able to have and keep. One of the things that we read when we looked at Genesis chapter 3, it talked about the serpent, and what it said about the serpent is that the serpent is more cunning than all the other animals that were made. And then it talked about how the serpent began to talk to, to Adam and Eve. It began to, to speak to Eve. And then this is what the serpent told Eve. I want y'all to hear me. The serpent told Eve, he said, look, God knows that the, when you eat this fruit, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to become like him. Say like him. 
Now, the fact of the matter is that uh, uh, scriptures say that we are made in God's image after God's likeness. Now, those are different. The image of God and the likeness of God are two different things. When you, uh, an image speaks of imagination. Or in other words, an image is something that can be seen, that can be projected. It can be something that can be externally ex- uh, uh, um, examined, something that can be seen. Likeness speaks of, um, it speaks of being similar to in nature. So I want you all to hear this because notice that the serpent didn't come after Adam's image. He came after Adam's likeness. He didn't say, he didn't say that the day you eat this fruit, uh, uh, um, 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 the serpent did not tell uh, Adam that God doesn't want you to, to bear his image. It says that God knows you will be like him. What does that mean? The reason why he attacked Adam's likeness and not his image is because the image is obvious. Adam knew that he was made different than all the other creatures. He knew that his intellect was on a whole nother level. But when you deal with the nature or the likeness of God, what you're dealing with is God's personality. You're dealing dealing with God's character, God's principles, things that are internally examined and not externally examined. So the war was about Adam's nature. This is how we know that. Because once the serpent told Eve um, um, that you'll become like God, and they began to eat the fruit. I want y'all to hear me. They began to eat the fruit. The Bible says that their eyes were open. Right? And they saw that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. The word naked there, check this out, y'all. The word naked comes from the same word that the serpent used to identify who he was as cunning. I'm going to show y'all. Are y'all with me so far? When the scriptures say that that the serpent was the most cunning, that comes from the word Aram, which means cunning, shrewd, or crafty. The word naked came, comes from the same word, Aram, which means cunning, shrewd, or crafty. So in other words, it wasn't just that Adam realized that he had no drawers on. When Adam and Eve decided to eat the fruit, they literally put, they took off God's nature and put on the serpent's. They were after, uh, the serpent was always after their nature. This is why. Because God is a father by nature. The serpent cannot progenerate. He cannot procreate. He cannot reproduce. So if he can convince you to take upon his nature, it pulls you into a state of being an orphan or a bastard. So it wasn't about apples and oranges. It wasn't about just simply being disconnected from God. It was about being disconnected from God as a father. And we understanding who we are as sons of God. Amen? Amen. This is what I've learned in church. 
I've learned, I've been in church all my life. Since I was five, I've been in church. And I grew up in, a, in a, uh, I grew up in a charismatic church that flowed in the gifts of the spirit and embraces the fivefold ministry that prophesy and, you know, people run around the church and fall out and skip and jump and slob and all that stuff. I've learned this in church, y'all. And let me know if y'all can relate to this. I've learned that you can speak in tongues. You can prophesy. You can, you can give to the poor. You can, you can, you can start churches. You can create, orf, you know, you can, you can create orphanages and you could, you, could, you could give to nations and do all that stuff. And you can do all of that with an orphan heart. Say la. I mean, you can, you can pastor people and, you know, you can do all of those different things and your heart not be fully grounded in who you are as a son. All the work that you can do in the church and you are still not convinced that you are approved. So we find ourselves striving and fighting and warring to be approved by God. And what we don't realize is that we are still operating as tongue talkers. We are still operating as people who lay hands on the sick. And we're doing all of this. And we still carry some residue of the serpent's nature. We still do it as orphans. From an orphan heart. Now this is the thing that. I, I know, and this is a Holy Spirit conference, so y'all like, okay, let's, let's get to the Holy Ghost. One thing I know about God is he's a good father. One thing I know about fathers, I want y'all to hear me, the greatest thing a father can be in the lives of his sons and daughters is present. Can I say that again? The greatest thing a father can be in the lives of his sons and daughters is present. Say present. Malachi 4 says, he says, that I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons, and I'll turn the hearts of the sons to the fathers, lest I smite the earth with the curse. This is what I do know. When, when the hearts of the fathers are not turned to the sons and daughters... Typically, this is what we see in households, what we see in communities, what we see in churches, what we see, period. What we see is a disconnect. We see violence begin to increase in communities. Amen? We see confusion begin to increase. We see poverty begin to increase. We see crime begin to increase. We see these things begin to increase when a father is not present in the lives of his children. When a father is present in the lives of his children, what we feel, what we receive is security. We receive peace. We receive a sense of affirmation. We receive identity. We receive all of these things when a father is present. Now notice, when Malachi chapter 4, I believe verse 6, when it says that God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the father, notice that he didn't, he didn't under. God did not say that and not know what he was saying. God said that in the right order that it was supposed to be said. 
Because sons can turn to fathers all day long, but until fathers turn back unto sons, sons will only find themselves performing to be accepted or received by them. Are y'all listening to me here? So God had to first say, look, in order for this thing to happen and for the curse to be reversed, I have to, I have to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons so that the sons can see I am received and we can connect. God understood this. So God did something for all of us today. When fathers don't turn to their children, but children turn to their fathers, one of three things will happen. Are y'all listening? One of three things will happen. Either the children will continue to perform for their attention. Either they will become numb to their existence. Or they will resent their fathers altogether. When sons try to, 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 to turn towards fathers, but that is not reciprocated, three things will happen, naturally and spiritually. They will continue to perform in order to feel accepted or to gain the attention of the father. They will become numb and just be like, I don't need them anyway. And just become completely numb to it. Or they will resent him and they will rebel. Because God knew this, one of the things that God did is uh, God said that I'm going to give you something that's going to help you, that's going to that's gonna, that's gonna lead you into what it looks like to be in right relationship with me. Turn to John chapter 14. We're going to read verses 16 through 18. Thank you, Jesus. If you got it, say, I got it. It reads, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be what? And will be what? In you. Verse 18, very important. I will not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. I will not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. Now, we talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. This is a Holy Spirit conference. We've been having a Holy Ghost good time. Amen. Many people talk about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And I want to I admonish you that the Holy Spirit was just not given to you for tongues. The Holy Spirit was just not given to you, check this out, for power. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to lead you into sonship. I want y'all to hear me here. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is just not to get you feeling good with goosebumps and fire up and down your spine. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to teach you what it looks like to be a son. Amen. The fact of the matter is this, y'all. Sonship, once you get saved and you give your life to God, 
You take upon the spirit of adoption. You are engrafted into the body of Christ. You move from orphan to son. But the thing is this, y'all. Even though spiritually you move there, psychologically it takes some work. You have to train yourself to think and believe as a son. Amen. It ain't always easy. Many people, they live in condemnation and fear because they have not trained themselves how to live like a son. Many people struggle with sin because they've not trained themselves or allowed the Holy Spirit to lead them into a place of sonship. Let me tell you this. Every time the Holy Spirit convicts you of wrongdoing, that's him telling you you're not acting or living like a son. Every time the Holy Spirit leads you into something that will bring God glory, he's showing you this is what sons of God do. It's not just about church stuff. It's about God wanting you to take upon his nature. And one of the things that I know, and the reason why I know that God is good, and he understands what it looks like to be a good God, because as I said, as I opened up, I said the greatest thing that a father can do for his children is be present. So how great a God do we serve that, that, that the thing that he left us with is his presence? God says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit because I don't want you to live like orphans. I want you to look like me. I want you to walk like me. I want you to talk like me. I want you to be my representative in the earth so that people can know what it looks like to be connected to a good father. A good father. God is not a baby's daddy. Sometimes we treat God and, 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 and we love him for being Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And the only way we can see him is as Jehovah Jireh, because some of us in this room, the only thing we've ever got from our dad was financial support. So we make God to look like our father. But God is saying, look, I just don't want to be looked at as a provider. I just don't want to be looked at as a creator. I just don't want to be looked at as a Lord. I want you to see me as a good God, a loving father, someone who died, who gave up his life so that you can live. I want you to see me as a God and as your king and as your father in the earth. Check this out. We don't know what it looks like all the time. Sometimes we don't know what it looks like to walk with God. But he says this, look, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you this person. Holy Spirit is not this it thing. The Holy Spirit is a living, breathing person with a personality, with the will, with desires. And his whole purpose is to lead us into his desires. Why do you think the scriptures say that those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. His responsibility in the earth is to show us what it looks like to be sons. 
He's committed unto us. Uh, the scriptures say that God was through Jesus in the earth reconciling the world unto him, and he's committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, that we may show the world what it looks like to be connected to a good father. Your relationship with God is just not for you. Your relationship with God is to show the world what a functional family should look like. When people see you in your household and you in your relationship with God, they should see what it looks like to be connected to a good God to the point to where you make Jesus actually look attractive. Much of, the, much of the issue of the church where we see churches that are half empty is because they've not found a way to make Jesus attractive. But when we, as the body of Christ, when we as sons and daughters of God, the sons and daughters of God, when we connect with him as a good father and we understand who he is as a good father, then we'll begin to show the world, look, I know you want some of this. I know you want some of this. You come on. House is, house, plenty of room. God is trying to get you from the orphanage to the mansion. Come on in. In my father's house, there are many rooms. Come on in. One of the things that we have to, to see, many of us, I want to I wanna, I wanna show you something in the word. Because whether we realize it or not, some of the things that we struggle with, we struggle with, and we probably never really identified it before, but some of the things that we struggle with, we struggle with because of this reality, because of this truth. In Genesis chapter 2, in Genesis chapter 3, we see two, gar we see two trees, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of, tree of life. We see that God tells Adam of every tree in the garden, you can have, and I especially want you to eat from the tree of life. Every tree you can have except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What we actually see, y'all, is not just some story in Genesis. We see an ongoing battle that we still face today. What do we see in the garden? We see a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we see a tree of life. A tree of the knowledge of good and evil and a tree of life. Many of us, we are still struggling eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does that look like today, y'all? Law versus grace. Many of us are living, still trying to perform, present offerings for ourselves, trying to perform. Instead of receiving the grace of God or Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? What does, what does the law bring about? The knowledge of good and evil. Paul said, I would not know covetousness unless the law had not said. Thou shalt not covet. The law brought about the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus represents the tree of life. Many of us today, we are still struggling in our own self because we've not learned. I want y'all to hear me. We have not yet learned how to stop trying to figure things out on our own. And, and, and we have to learn how to start leaning on the grace of God. 
Because grace is just not this thing that we use like a net, like a safety net. Many of us treat grace like a safety net. Just in case I fall, thank you for his grace. The grace of God is the power of God. The grace of God is the empowerment of God. The grace of God is God's ability that gives you the ability to do what you can't do in your own ability. The grace of God is that thing where, where, where we begin to declare, look, Lord, I know I ain't got it all together. I know I'm jacked up. But I know that in my weakness, your grace We have went through our entire lives being strong when Jesus was looking for people who will be weak. We've went through our entire lives trying to keep things together when all God wants us to do is rely on him as a father. I've learned, y'all, I ain't trying to be strong for nobody. My job is to, is to realize, let me tell you this, true strength is found in identifying how weak you really are. Because when you realize and understand how weak you really are, God's grace can be made perfect in your weakness. The moment you think you got it all together is the moment you start eating from that other tree. Sonship. Say sonship. Sonship is about rest. It's about resting in God. It's about understanding that if you ask him for something, he ain't going to give you something else. It's about understanding that, look, when I know I ain't got it all together, I know my father has everything. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It belongs to him. And the moment that we start relying solely on him for our provision, for our security, for our identity, for our nature in him, is the moment that we'll begin to see Roscoe transformed. Because let me tell you this. Come on, you give God praise for that. Roscoe is not looking for good programs. Roscoe is looking for a man. Roscoe is looking for this church to resemble a man. We can set all the programs in place that we want to set in place and do all the things that we think we need to do. But until this church starts looking like a city, a light that's set upon a hill, a city, y'all, what does that mean? Why would God call this church, this church, this church to be a city? Look around. Y'all are a city. A city within a city. A city of light in the midst of a city of darkness. God has called this city to be a light so that you can be a resource for the city. The only reason why people come to a light is because they need something. 
And until we start looking like Jesus and resembling Jesus and taking upon his identity and taking upon his nature, we have to begin to start doing that because God is looking for a people who will not be ashamed, will not be afraid, that will step out of our comfort zones. Our comfort zones. Step out of our comfort zones. I know you've been doing good, but are you doing God? I know you've been doing what you think is good, but have you been led by the Spirit to do what God has asked of you? He wants our nature to resemble his nature. And we, I want y'all to hear me. Okay. I'm going to say this and then I'm I'm, 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 I'm I'm going to move on. What if I told you that sin, say sin, y'all. What if I told you that sin wasn't as much about what you do as it is about where you dwell? I told you I feel at home. That's how I give it to our church. What if I told you about, what if I told you that sin is not so much about what you do as it is about where you dwell. Why do I say that? Because Romans chapter 14 says that anything that's not of faith is sin. Anything that's not of faith is sin. But Paul said all things are why? Because when you violate the laws of faith and the laws of love, that is what the new covenant considers sin. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about Christ's likeness and dwelling in him. Because if you choose Christ's likeness, dwelling in him and living by faith, all that other stuff can miss you. All that other stuff, all those other things, won't even, you won't even have a desire to participate in. Because I don't live by what I see. I don't live by how I feel. I walk by faith and not by sight. I got six hand claps. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this is where the Holy Spirit fits into this whole mix. God gave the Holy Spirit to you just not, just not to come upon you in certain points in time, but so that we learn to be as sensitive as we can to him, so that every move that we make, everything that we do, we're sensitive to him. We're being shaped by him. We are just not shaped by our decisions. Yeah, we are shaped by our decisions, but the thing that God wants us to be shaped by is his voice and the leading of his voice. God has given his voice unto us, his spirit unto us, because it's that very thing that shapes our lives. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We can't put Holy Ghost in our backpack that we just want to pull out when it's convenient. We have to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God because it is by the Spirit of God that we are led into sonship. We take off the old man. We take off the old nature. We be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We embrace the spirit of adoption. And we say, look, God, if it don't look like you, I don't want nothing to do with it. 
sonship. Now, I know particularly that there's some people here today, in here today, where you've been struggling with this. God, do you really accept me after seeing everything that I've done? How can you love someone knowing the things that I know? Some of you in here today, that's been something that you've been dealing with. And let me tell you this, you'll never be able to earn God's approval. You don't have to. He already approved you. He approved you before you had a reason to be approved. All you have to do is accept what he has provided for you. Can I, can I say this? This, 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 this going to throw y'all off, maybe, some of y'all. I don't believe God is forgiving anybody else today. Why y'all looking at me like that? I don't believe God is forgiving anyone else today. I believe everything that God wanted to do, he did at the cross. So what does that look like? Everything got, everything, because all your sins, I know, like, we talk about past, present, and future, but at the cross, all your sins was in the future. He's not forgiving. So what happens when you repent? You're saying, look, God, I am receiving everything that you have for me. I receive the forgiveness that you provided for me at the cross. It's a finished work. You don't have to fight for God's approval. It's a finished work. Your identity in him is a finished work. All you have to do is step into it and believe it by faith. Your healing is a finished work. Your deliverance is a finished work. Come on. Your financial freedom is a finished work. We don't feel like a finished work. <laughs> keep walking in faith and I guarantee keep believing God and I guarantee don't let your present circumstance determine make you make you make a decision about who God is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Even if your situation don't, don't match what God said, I want you to raise your expectation to match what God said. We try to bring who God is down to our level of reasoning instead of heightening our level of reasoning to who God is and what he said. It's already done. Say, it's already done. Say, my healing is already done. My deliverance is already done. My children are already saved. I'm already out of debt. He said, it's already done. Amen. Amen. All right, let me move on because I want to I wanna, I wanna flow just a little bit. That's it. I want to flow just a little bit. How many of y'all believe that it's already done? 